0: Hola, mi gente, and welcome to Growing Up Spanglish. I'm your host, Rosalyn, but most of you know me as Roxy. Every week, we're bringing you stories from across the Latin diaspora from Spanglish speakers who grew up feeling ni de aquí, ni de allá. Each season is dedicated to a different city, as we meet people whose migrant stories have led them to all corners of the U.S. So it's only right that I kick things off in the city that made me, the 305. Oh.
1: Hi, my name is Mimi Davila. I grew up in Miami.
0: You said you're Cuban Mm -hmm. and Bulgarian. Mm -hmm. How did your Parents' uh, balance, infusing both of those cultures. My parents immigrated with
1: me to the United States. Oh, you weren't born here?
0: No. Oh, where were you
1: born? In Bulgaria. Oh, fun fact. Fun fact. So we moved to New York because we had an uncle there who wrote and who invited, who sent us the invitation. And we came. And the whole story of how they actually got the stamp, because back then that was like the end of the Cold War. And it was, there was nothing in Bulgaria. It was like just coming out of communism. Anyway, so we they had we had to leave. Obviously what they weren't gonna go to Cuba either. So came to New York and then we moved to Miami because they were like, if you grow up in New York with your economic bracket, you're 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 not gonna have a good life and like your kid is gonna grow up not great. So they came to Miami. My mom was really sad because coming from those tall buildings back then, like 90, 91 Miami, was not what it is right now. Mm. It was very, like, especially Aventura area. Or, or actually, we didn't even go there. We went to Huechete first. Huechete. Huechete. La I, There wasn't really a... They didn't try. They just didn't speak English that great yet. So I grew up with both of the languages, Bulgarian and Spanish. And My parents... Actually met in Germany in university because in east in the Eastern Bloc, so both communist Bulgaria and communist Cuba sent and other communist countries sent students to Eastern Germany in a university, and that's where they met. So they they had they met in German, and neither of them spoke like perfect German. So growing up, I just has I was very surrounded by both things very strongly because we were literally immigrants in high
0: school. I didn't know that you were Spanish, and I knew that you went by Mimi, which is funny. Because Mimi is such a Cuban nickname to give, like, oh yeah, Mimi, dame eso. Yeah, Mimi so, a Mima. Yeah. And so it was just like, I didn't realize, and I know they used to say, like, that you were Cuban, and I used to think that it was a bit, and I used to be like, it's just joking. <laughs> and I think it was just because, like, you're, like, the way you look, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting, like, you really grew up, like, with both of these cultures, mm-hmm. like, super infused into your life mm-hmm. so you lived predominantly with your mom or you spent equal time with both
1: no my, my parents got divorced when I was like seven so then I would be on the weekends with my dad and during the week I'd be with my
0: mom okay so you still got like both cultures
1: yeah and I would I start my my grandmother and my aunt and my sister cousin prima hermana live in Cuba so I was also going there very frequently from my young age because oh. of the close family that lived there. My dad goes. Yeah, often. often. So I always went with him. When was the first time that you went I was nine. What was that
0: experience like?
1: It was so magical. I mean, it's sad because obviously we all know the situation, the economic and the, the political situation over there. But for me... I was very impressed and taken with how the you know life is just so different there. Mm-hmm. People are much more present.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And people at that time it got it's sad because as I as I've gone through the years like I went at 9, 11, it's gotten more desolate. But when I was little, I was like so amazed because everybody was just out on the streets and talking. And we don't, you know, and that's a lot—a big complaint when people first move to this country from wherever they are from, especially like developing countries or underdeveloped countries. You miss that sense of community, yes, or that ability—the congregating. Just be like, hey, what's up? And just, like, going to get ice cream is such a huge deal. But it's so fun. Yeah. And even, you know, when kids grow up differently, like, they're much more, I feel, like, in their bodies. Um, they, appre- they appreciate things more. They're more um, observant. Because when you don't have so much, like, distracting you. Mm-hmm. Distraction and, like, so much, uh, what's it called, um, intake of mm-hmm. things, of media and stuff, you're you're a lot more present. mm mm-hmm. And all of those things. And I think also the brotherhood or the, you know, because over there, they all have a common oppressor, which is the government. And they're very aware of that. And it brings it gives you a sort of brotherhood, sisterhood amongst people you don't know. And we don't have that here, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, even though...
0: We don't have a different idea of who the oppressor is or what the oppressor (laughs) is. But... Did dad, like, talk about that kind of stuff with you? Like, was that something that you... No.
1: This is me. Okay. My dad has a very different relationship. He's like... He... It it pains him to go because he Mm -hmm. has a lot of, I think, bitterness and anger of what that government did to the country. Mm -hmm. Interesting, though, because it's
0: your... You're torn, and I think that that's the dichotomy of Cuban people, like, when the ability to start traveling there more frequently for people occurred, um, you have the younger generations that are like, I want to go book me the first flight there, and then the older generations, like the grandparents that are like, are you fucking kidding me? Like,
1: Well, yeah, and we're in a different situation because no one from my family left other than my dad. Like he was the first one to leave. They weren't like, you know, and we have members of a family that are uh, partial to the revolution and the Communist Party. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about how this upbringing and being like a very well um, versed and embedded into your Cuban culture um how does that affect you growing up like what was so highland oaks
1: and highland oaks middles super eggs dairy road and then a sprinkle of highland lakes oh. and yeah Ives dairy so yeah. it's those were but that's what i love that's what i love that's what i love about growing up in miami and then you get to crop and that's in the, because of the magnet program it's even so more medical. of of like a fusion of different neighborhoods so that is one of the biggest takeaways i have from growing up here that I'm so thankful for. I mean, I'm certain it's similar to like growing up in New York and stuff, but I even just think Miami as a city is so different because Miami is a city where minorities built the land. You know, and growing up, I didn't or wasn't like, oh, I'm a minority or we're a minority. Cause yeah. you didn't I didn't think that way. Cause I was surrounded by so such diversity that I was I did I was like, oh yeah, like Latinos is Miami's Latinolandia. Or, yeah. It wasn't weird
0: to speak Spanish somewhere. So you grew up, like, in school, like, speaking Spanish with your friends?
1: No, I didn't grow up. I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> I spoke English with my friends because I had... Yeah, no, we spoke English. I just mean, like, I think about my parents. Like, they have very big, heavy accents, and that's not weird here. Yeah. Mo- more It's less weird than in other places. You've, you feel less othered. When I left Miami, I went to school in Texas, and that was when I really realized, like, wow, what a, what a, what a privilege to be able to grow up somewhere like Miami for those types of reasons.
2: Yeah, I have a, I have a question about that because I've had a friend who growing up here, light like passing Brazilian, whatever the case is. So mm-hmm. to her and her family, you know, they're very they blend in easily, whatever the case is. They're not yep. looked at at different. Then she moved to like Chicago and like the Midwest. And at that moment, she realized that they look at they can tell that you're not us. That's
1: exactly what
2: happened. So that's to exactly me. what the, take us through that in a little bit if you could.
1: Yeah, so I I grew up not thinking about that. I am definitely I am light skinned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I am white passing. But when I moved to Texas that was the first time that I felt like I was being judged and people made assumptions about me based on my ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, I am different looking than everybody. And they would, they, even teachers. And back then the word microaggression, like people weren't as woke as they are now. So I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, having a lot of microaggressions thrown at me, and I I hated my time there for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first time that I experienced that, but it gave me an important awareness.
2: Mm-hmm. Leaving... Did it make you prouder?
1: It, yeah, it made me... It, it's so funny, I actually just wrote a... I was applying for a grant, I was literally just writing about this, but mm-hmm. it brought a different awareness to my creativity. And it brought a nice anger. Mm. Like a, a nice little anger that I think can be helpful, because... I that's where I learned to code switch, in Texas because apart from people hypersexualizing me or thinking that I was more advanced, like that I did drugs and stuff. Cool, I was did such they a good too because you were Spanish. Yeah, I had oh, a teacher wow. that was like, you know, I thought, yeah, because I was so different from everybody else, like. I had long brown curly hair. I wore tight clothes. I was always loud. Like, you know how we were in high school yeah. and stuff. And I was like the the hoe from Miami. Or like <laughs> oh they wouldn't God. say the hoe, but they're like, oh, she's from Miami. Like I was like the exoti I was exoticized. <laughs> Is that a whatever? <laughs> and I even had a teacher say to me in my first eval, they were like, you know, I thought you were high all the time. Mind you, did not smoke. <laughs> Back then. And then he was like, But then I just realized that it's just your culture. He literally said that. <laughs> yeah. I wow. don't know what that means exactly to this day. But was he trying to say that you're just like giddy? That's just, what does that mean? He said my culture. And even someone else was like, Another teacher was like, You know, when Mimi walks in, she brings in the streets. Oh, my God. And nobody would say that about me. But I was so, like, de- like not seen. Nobody could see me.
0: Yeah.
1: They just saw this idea of me. Mm-hmm. And that really hurt me. But I, I learned a lot. And that smirk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it did make me prouder, of course. Mm-hmm. But then it was crazy because then in L.A., all of a sudden, I'm a white girl again. So when you kind of have that like ethnically ambiguous thing, mm-hmm. it really is so subjective on what you're wearing, how are you talking, who are you with, what are you doing? And and your the perception people have of you
0: changes everywhere you go. You go to Texas and there's this persona that's like placed on you. Yes what's interesting is that you play a character that plays
2: into... You call it what it is. It's stereotypical to a degree. Yeah, it's yeah, like It's not too far... And stereoty- stereotyping has a bad connotation to it. But we're talking about from the standpoint of what people have perceived the cultures to be. Or right. Like that, right? And yeah. You lean into it rather than shying away from yes. those portions of yourself. Because
0: mm-hmm. you are... um You're one half of the Chonga girls. Mm-hmm. And... Here in Miami, I would think... I've never heard anyone complain. I think everyone knows it's, like, endearing. Like, this is true to who you and Laura are. Yeah. And it's, like, almost like an ode, this type of Spanish girl Mm -hmm. in in South Florida. How did the Chonga girls even come to be? So, growing up,
1: those were the cool girls. Those were the popular girls in school. And
2: describe the look though like you got to you got to lay it out for Okay time. so it
1: and those are things that I wasn't allowed to do. Okay. Because my mom was very overprotective. Mm-hmm. And so was Laura's mom. Mm-hmm. So we both had that in common. We were both overprotected. They were so scared of everything. But the style was like tight clothes, Brazilian jeans, which I was allowed to wear the Brazilian jeans, but like the hair like wet, um scrunchy curls um like dark lip liner and and back then we didn't have like all the makeup tutorials and stuff Mm -hmm. so it was very hard to achieve that look if you didn't know what you were doing or like you didn't have an older sister like you you needed to be plugged in somehow (laughs) and we were not (laughs) i was not (laughs) and also it was an attitude It was like a fearlessness. And that's why they were in Miami. That's why those girls were popular. Because they were confident. And at that age, when you're so awkward, you're like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. These girls are like. These girls are like. I know who the fuck I am. Exactly. So I thought they were so cool. But I was not. Mm -hmm. I was a nerd. (laughs) And um, but when I got to high school, we started to see through the cracks a little bit something that we had idealized for so long we started to see what was funny about it you know that there was this over exaggerated bravado in high school you know because interesting everybody in 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 school everybody is you're fighting for your survival in any way that you can and so we a couple of our friends in drama started coming up with making, Fergalicious was popular at the time. And we started being like, oh, chongalicious. Cause you know, that's the word, is chonga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that night we, everyone went to the Miami-David County Youth Fair and me and Dada were not allowed to go. And what I did for fun was I made videos mm-hmm. and I edited it on Windows Movie Maker and I had a little gaga digital camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so Laura came over with her little brother oh. and we were like, let's do this. Like, Let's just do it for fun. So we wrote it. We recorded it because that's what we did. Played pretend, um, called up Julian and we were like, Julian, come film us. He was like, OK, he didn't go to the fair either, I guess. <laughs> and then we put it on YouTube and we were like, let's just share it with our friends. Because earlier that day we had been, you oh. know, throwing around the word chongalicious, junk- Jackie. And we put it on YouTube, and then all of a sudden, it goes viral. And we just kept checking back, and it kept getting bigger and bigger, bigger numbers. All of a sudden, Power 96 is playing in, and we call Power 96. It's one of those things that, like, it happens so by chance, Mm -hmm. because we were just having fun. And we were just expressing something that we had experienced in our surroundings and something that we had grown up with. And it, it it took hold and it ended up, it has ended up defining so much of my life, but it was something so unplanned. And over the years, the, the intentions have changed because of those experiences. Like it began as something like, oh, we're making fun of these girls because, but it was also like, we're admiring them at the same time. And then after going to college and being in Texas and having those experiences, it definitely became a thing of like, Ooh, I want to rub it in everyone's face. Mm-hmm. I want to be... Because every time I would be loud in the cafeteria, these super annoying, like... They'd be like, oh, you're being so loud. Or they always make commentary, like, about me. Mm-hmm. Or, like, how loud I was. Or hyper. or Things that you could associate with my...
2: Which are all microaggressions, right?
1: Latinidad, yeah. yes. And... I wanted to take those things and be, some, and be like, I'm proud of this and I'm going to rub it in your face. And I think that that's why so many people connected with it, because I think so many Latinos have felt that feeling of like, oh, I have to assimilate. I can't wear my hoops to work. I have to like kind of tone it down. You know, you want to assimilate. And so I think that that feeling of wanting to be not wanting to hide mm-hmm. was was what really connected people to what we were doing, because. It definitely comes from a place of celebration. And, like, no, I love this. Like, I love the fact that we wear bright, colorful clothes and they're tight. And, yes, they're showing off our body because I love my body. And it's hot outside. And (laughs) I like that a lot. And I love that I love to dance. Just, like, all of these things that I... And and it also has to do with my relationship with Cuba and the love that I feel. Because a lot of that culture, you know, chonga is technically uh was associated with cuban immigrant girls in the 80s but i think that that has is especially throughout the east coast is so like throughout all the caribbean and like dominican girls and in new york city
0: and then even cholas like it's different but it's still still kind of the same like chingonas are like very very similar I think it's just so telling of that time period where we were not hyper-focused on social media mm-hmm. um, I think what what was at the time MySpace and maybe the beginning of Facebook yep. but like other things didn't exist so when things went viral like those were organic yes. moments that actually happened as opposed to being like forced um, and so I'm just like remembering that time where people would go viral and be like "Yeah." famous like you know and I mean I am also remembering that time of like when you went viral whatever like if it was a song or if it was a sound bite it would end up on the radio Mm -hmm. and that was really when you knew you'd be like oh shit we're on the radio like you really felt so that's crazy how was the reaction from your parents and Laura's because like oh she
1: loved it my mom loved it (laughs) Laura's mom was a little bit like Shocked because Laura's mom is one always wanted Laura to be a little bit more conservative, but they ended up all loving it. Our moms are very, although they were always very overprotective, they also have always been very supportive of our dreams. But Chonga used to be a negative word. Yeah,
0: and I think our generation embraced it. Embraced it, and now you see like. I mean, Cardi B is a chonga. Right. Like the way Hood Rat was embraced, being Ratchet was embraced. Yes. You turn the word around. So yeah. now, I'm like, yep, I'm chonga. I love it. It's like being punk
1: almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Latina's version of like just embracing these stereotypes. Those these things, things that
1: people would insult you for or offend you for, you embrace. Or like, I had a boyfriend that would be like, oh, wow, I could really see how in Miami you're body type is more of the type like more curvy like and I'm like this is the body type like curves are the body type what are you talking about so that also has to do with growing up in Miami and just the things that are seen as like niche or not mainstream it's like what are you talking about it is the mainstream and in our lifetime we have seen how those things have infiltrated right and
0: and, and and now it's reversing. And now the girls are getting rid of the BBLs and getting rid of the, the you know, the, the lip they, enhancements. Yeah. I know, I know. So
2: the goal is to like, okay, be gracious but natural looking, right? Okay. So, like, is that what it is? I think that's what it is. I think <laughs> the, the girls are like now changing to.
0: I mean, the bimbo aesthetic is a thing, it's absolutely a thing. What it's is that? intentional. The bimbo aesthetic is the. A... The 90s Baywatch look of getting super exaggerated boobs, you know, super exaggerated lips. And then the butt thing came into play. So bimbo aesthetic is a thing. Okay. There are women out there who purposely get plastic surgery to look that way. Yeah, And then there's women who just like, se pasaron. And they're like, oh no, this is not the look I was going for. But now we are seeing this like regression of women being like, oh, it's time to remove the fillers and this and that, you know. And the main...
1: the main it also have to do with the fact that fillers are not that great. Like, uh, they may, can make you look older.
0: And they also cost a lot to maintain
1: them. <laughs> so... Yeah. Over and the time, you're like, fuck. And it doesn't even look great. great. Also, fillers is something that within our lifetime we've seen skyrocketed. So people are still understanding the effects of what that right. is. Right,
0: exactly. Exactly.
2: So that
1: could probably
0: be too...
2: Depending on where you've grown up.
1: Where I was, yeah.
2: You've experienced, oh, she's Latina. Oh, she's white. What's that like amongst your like, Bulgarian Bulgarian family, sorry. Bulgarian family. Like and I'm and I'm saying that because it seems like you've leaned into your Cuban side more.
1: Well, you know, it's really more because I grew up in Miami
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was not only am I half Cuban, but everybody I was around, my friends.
0: Mm.
1: I grew up with Latinos, mostly, and Black people. Mm. And and I also think that I'm, as pretentious as it may sound, I'm an artist. Mm. And I live here. I live in the United States. I live and I grew up in Miami. I read this quote today. An artist's only responsibility is to know, the, to be aware of the time that they're living in. Mm. So I think that all of those things, yeah, I think that my voice is necessary in the way I've been using it my whole life because I'm an artist and this is where I am. Like, it's not that I don't have a connection to my Bulgarian culture. It's just that the way my life has played out, it just so happened that I felt at this time, at least that I have more of a lot of people don't know I'm Bulgarian. And some people might take that as, oh, she doesn't want people to know. I put that on my social and stuff, it's just that people don't care as much because of the circumstances of where we are and, who, and what's going on. And also, again, I grew up in Miami, so do you think that you play into that? No, because I know... Because I feel like I've thought that about other people. But I'm like, oh, now you want to play into it because that Bunny won the Grammy. And I see people coming out of the woodworks. I've always been this way. Yeah. And it wasn't... When I when we came up with Youngalicious and we've been doing this and we've had to... Let me tell you, we've had to suffer. And we've had to pay the price for wrapping those things before it was as cool as it is now. What do you mean by that? I mean that...
0: Was there like Again, a negative reaction example, to
1: it? Well...
0: Or negative reception? I read this book by someone
1: and they were talking a lot about the chonga culture. And they cite uh, Laura and i's video. And they talk about how... I can't quote it word for word, but they talk about the reason why these girls have had a hard time entering the mainstream is because they're seen this way. They're seen as these chonga girls. And I never thought about it that way like this person wrote it almost as if no whether she's right or wrong whatever but being in LA we've just been wanting we've me and Laura have been doing our comedy for many years and we've always just wanted it to to be in the mainstream and so we've had to we've gone through a lot you know and and so that's what I mean when I say I was doing like it, it was just always like this I never saw their Being another option, I realized that later. I'm like, oh wow, I could have really just like gone the I'm a LA girl from nowhere and I've just popped up on your screen. (laughs) And I just never chose that ever. And I didn't even realize it was a choice till later. Actually, like when I saw an episode, do you guys watch Atlanta? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that episode where Zazie uh, meets her friend? Like she's at the German thing. Mm -hmm. I just think that Donald Glover touches on that a lot. Whereas like when you're biracial or like you're half or whatever, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. You can make that choice kind of in the way that you choose to live your life. Mm-hmm. Like, what? And I didn't realize that until later. I was like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And I and I have a lot of friends that are darker than me that have chosen to like, I'm only going to date white guys. And I'm going to say that I'm Irish or whatever. <laughs> like,
2: Okay. The Donald Glover thing is int- intriguing to me because he does that multiple times within that season. I think the episode right after that one is the Are You Black Enough? Almost episode.
1: Are you talking about the one with um,
2: with the Kevin college? Samu- yeah, same Samuels, mm-hmm. the college admissions, essentially, yes. right? Yes, that's yeah. season
1: three or four. The later season. It's the, it's
2: the, I think it's the last season. Yeah,
1: I love that episode. Right. It was very interesting.
2: But the whole point was to black kids in the episode, oh, we didn't know you were black because you hung out with Mm -hmm. only the white kids. But now there's a benefit Mm -hmm. of you being black and now you want to show it. Yeah. But what I thought was amazing about the episode was he took it from the space of how well do you know culture? Black culture, Mm -hmm. right? And that defined whether or not you were black, even if your skin or your appearance showed as black. So now my question to you is, did you ever go through the? Oh, she's not Latin enough. She's, vulgarian. Yeah, Absol- like yeah,
1: for sure. That's why I'm so like, um, comfortable with talking about it because I've gone through it all, and I know girls that are, am I Latin enough? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's just what happens when you're, somehow torn from where you're originally from. And you're living in a space where you're in, be- you're in between a lot of cultures. I think humans were designed to have a sense of belongings, we're tribal people. Mm-hmm. And now, with globalization, people are, there's so much yeah. intermixing going on. I think it's a very common thing to have that kind of identity crisis yeah. and be like, I don't know where I belong. Yeah, I've gone through that a lot. And really, When I I had to shave my head a year, two years ago, I had to shave my head for a pilot for Amazon. And that was such an amazing thing because it really made me realize, like, I'm so tired of worrying about this. I am defined by my personality. I, I love my cultures. I love to celebrate them. I love to share them with people. I really don't care with you what you think I'm enough or not enough because I get mm-hmm. it all the time. Like, and it's really so. Like one day a Cuban person will be like, "Ella no es cubana." The next day they'll be like, "Ella es cubana, una cubana actriz." <laughs> the next day, like, "No, ella no es cubana, es gringa." Or uh, here, like, she's a white girl. She's a this. She's a that. And so, uh, or with Bulgarian people, like. Yeah, she's Bulgarian, but she grew up in the, you know, it's just, I just was like, yeah. fuck everybody, I'm me, I'm I'm tired of, like, carrying that weight in that way.
2: You sound like you're on a mission, not to prove anything in the sense of I'm Latin, but more to just raise awareness of, like, our culture, it's almost as if the same mission that Roxy seems to be on is, like, our culture is bigger <laughs> than... Yeah just specific parts of the diaspora. Do you feel that? Like, is is that something you're actively doing or is it just what's Yeah, I would say
1: that I'm more a type of a person. I feel like that I'm focused on bringing people together as opposed to apart. Like, one of my favorite things is the fact that so many people who are not Latin also enjoy the Chonga girls. And maybe, like, now they kind of, like, damn, like, not... They're going to think differently about a girl like that when they see her. I like that.
0: Is that why you've developed the characters over time? Because we recently saw your improv show, and it was different than what I was expecting, in a good way, where it's like they grew up, like the Chunga girls kind of grew up. Yeah, I mean, I think I've grown up as a person. I've grown up as an artist.
1: And the Chunga Girls is something that I do with my best friend. And it's something that we have a lot of fun doing. And it's also something that has opened doors for us. And we both have goals of being great storytellers and bringing our culture to a mainstream audience. We don't want to be lying comedy. We want to be comedy. It's just comedy. If something's funny, it's funny. So we had to work on... Grounding and storytelling. And as we have grown as people and as artists, that has been like that was our goal. We wanted to ground them because A, that's good. (laughs)
0: Like
1: that's good entertainment. Yeah. And B, they can't, if you have a character that's not developed and you're taking a big leap where you're going to play a chonga where you know people love to throw around the word stereotype for that reason because you have to 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 make them real people that's why SNL has tried to make so many sketches with like a chonga character or chola character chola not chongas they've tried to make cholas but people always complain because they're two-dimensional characters but you also see a lot of amazing characters on SNL that are three dimensional, that are from the South, or they're Midwestern, or the Target Lady, and we're so comfortable with that. But nobody has—I don't—I mean, you, we have Marcelo Hernandez there on SNL right now, and he's from Miami. But there's still so much more to be done in making yeah. making wonderfully comedic, well-rounded characters that nobody can
0: say, that's a stereotype. And you're just like, that's a great character. That's a great, and I feel seen. There, what is a Cuban saying that only makes sense to other Cuban people? And sometimes doesn't even make sense at all. Uh, estás acabando con los y los mangos. <laughs> what is that?
1: And I'm not even sure. I don't know if I said the Q word. Estás acabando con los y los mangos. Quinte, quince, 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 quince. <laughs> means that you're just you've lost control you're 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 out of control you're out of control that's what it means
0: like, you know well, i love or like cubans. you're just
1: like you are just <laughs> i love
0: when, when cubans be like un arroco mango. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it cubans are just such colorful people
1: i think everybody in the caribbean is yeah. very funny yes
0: yes we're all characters <laughs> humor is just part of the culture Yeah, it's like a way of surviving Yes, definitely Yeah.
1: (laughs) Someone was like, I don't have enough trauma to be funny (laughs) (laughs) Hi, my name is Mimi Davila, I'm half Cuban, half Bulgarian I'm an actress, comedian, writer, and this is Growing Up Spanglish Yo soy borigua.